Friends, this is a big sermon series in the life of our church. I don't know exactly how clear I've been about it, but I see this sermon series as a significant part of a blueprint for us going forward, so much so that when I picture somebody asking me, even, even three to five years down the road, hey, where's North Sub headed? Where's North Sub going? I imagine part of that response being directing them to the audio from this sermon series. What we're trying to do in this series is to paint a picture of what church could be, a vision, with just a few brush strokes added to that picture each week of the series. So I want to encourage you to stay current with us. If you're serving downstairs one Sunday morning or if you're out of town one Sunday morning, do listen online and stay up with us for where we're going. Would you pray with me that the strokes that we paint this morning would be honoring to the Lord? God, you're big and you love us, and that makes us glad. Now, let the words that I say and let the thoughts we all think be pleasing in your sight. For Jesus' sake, amen. Have you ever had a chance to experience church in another part of the world? Who's had that opportunity? Yeah, church service in another part of the world. Within a few minutes of an experience like that, you often realize that church reflects the cultural context of where the church is found. So, for example, a church, if you visit a church in a co- where the surrounding culture um, is very communal, you probably will find and experience church itself as very communal. Maybe they share a family meal together after every worship service. Or if you visit a church that's in a cultural context where there isn't a high value placed on showing up on time for social gatherings, church may not start right at the listed time either. Um, No church escapes its cultural context, and it's no different here where we are situated here on Lake Cook and Waukegan here on what's called the North Shore. Um, If you think about what characterizes the North Shore, some words that come to my mind are buttoned up, efficient, professional, And if you've had a chance to visit many churches in the area, you might find those same characteristics at play, relatively speaking, right? Buttoned up, efficient, professional. Now, there's nothing inherently problematic with the church reflecting its culture. As we said, first of all, it's unavoidable. But secondly, there's even some benefits to it. As we think about uh, the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians 9 saying that, "I, I, I want to become all things to all people so that by all means I might win some. However... The question, a question that every church, every church family needs to ask itself is to what extent is the way we do church dictated by scripture and to what extent is the way we do church dictated by the culture around us? Where scripture provides freedom, then we should exercise that freedom to do church, so to speak, in a way that makes sense, is intelligible with the culture around us. However, where Scripture provides guardrails, we must not transgress those for the sake of becoming more relevant or fitting in with the culture around us. Over the last two weeks, uh, the first two weeks of this series, we've put a couple pieces in play of this puzzle that we're uh, putting together of what church might look like in this next chapter of North Sub's story. And these first two pieces that have been laid down actually are pretty countercultural 
where we live. So do you remember what we talked about the last couple weeks? Uh, Two weeks ago, I preached on church as family. We looked at those scriptural passages that refer to the church as the household of faith. And we looked at the sister and brother language in scripture. And we painted this picture, a few brushstrokes of what that might look like. The problem is that we're living in a cultural context in which people are seeking to minimize mess. And church as family is messy, isn't it? The problem is also that we are living in a cultural context in which people are trying to maximize their efficiency, but church as family is anything but efficient. We are going to offend each other, uh, annoy each other, and have to take the inefficient time to be made right with one another. Our cultural context values having a polished appearance, but church's family has no room for that because your family can see through your mask that you put on and see what's really going on. So this vision of church's family we acknowledged two weeks ago rubs up against the culture where we live. But so does the message last week. Uh, remember what Dr. Lau shared last week from Ephesians chapter 4? He said last week from Ephesians 4 that this picture of We, the congregation, cheering on a select few leaders who are doing the work of ministry is exactly the opposite of the biblical picture. And so what we said last week is that we are going to resist that. We are going to do it a different way here at North Sub. We're going to try to follow that biblical model in Ephesians 4 where the leaders are doing the equipping of the saints, the congregants who are actually doing the work of ministry. Again, problem here in our cultural context There are many people looking specifically for a church where they don't have to do much. They've already got too busy of a life. They're looking for a place where they can slide in, slide out, be anonymous. So, after two weeks of this series, we're two for two, actually, in painting a picture of church that doesn't exactly align with what many of us are looking for in our natural selves for church here on the North Shore. And by the way, I'm not pointing the finger at some people out there. I feel it within myself. This isn't a vision of church that I've always been looking for. And even at moments now, I feel like it would be easier, more convenient, uh, less messy to do something different. Uh, Today, we're going to make it three for three with a third picture. Uh, Some more brushstrokes that, again, are countercultural where we live. Why would we do this? Many churches craft their vision by step one, ask people what they want. Step two, give them what they want, right? There's some marketing wisdom in that. We're talking about something that's very different, a different way of going about crafting vision for our future. Why would we do it that way? Uh, There's two reasons. One's theological, one's missional. Thanks for hanging with this extended introduction. The theological reason for what we're doing in this series is that We don't believe that we get to decide how to do church here at North Sub. We believe that's actually God's prerogative. He's the one who created the church. The church was his idea. And so we actually believe that he knows how it will work best. And so if he says that church is meant to be a family, who are we to say it isn't? If he says that every member is supposed to be engaged in the work of ministry while the leaders equip them for that, who are we to say that it's going to be a different way here at North Sub? So we're going to let him call the shots. The missional reason for doing our vision this way is because the same God who has given us instruction about how church is supposed to be 
is the God who made us human beings, and he made us in such a way that we would yearn for life the way he intended it to be lived. We would feel like there's something missing when we aren't living according to his design. And so we believe that even some of the folks that we love dearly who are saying right now even, I just want a church where I can just slide in, slide out, and be anonymous. We believe that even some of those folks will eventually come to a place where they find that to be less than satisfying, where they will find themselves yearning for something richer, something more biblical, something um, that uh, is more in line with this vision that we are trying to lay out here from Scripture. That's why we're going where we're going. So what about today? Today, we're going to be looking at a Scripture text that deals specifically with the, the weekly gathering, the gathered assembly, what we do on Sunday mornings here. And we're going to look at that aspect of church. And some of what we see here may affirm what we're already doing. Some of what we see here may challenge what we're doing now. So would you turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 14? You're going to want to be there, take a look at this. You're going to want to search around in the surrounding context in chapter 14. We're going to start with verse 26. As you're turning there, a little bit of background Reading this passage may feel like one of those cross-cultural experiences going to visit a church in another place because the church at Corinth was doing church very differently than many of the services that most of us have seen in our lives. For example, they don't really have a concept of a tightly ordered liturgy leading to an extended monologue by an expert. That isn't really part of the the vision that we see here. Um, what we see here is a little different. It involves contributions from a variety of people, some of which are planned, some of which are unplanned. So there's cultural distance between them and us. Uh, if we want to kind of encapsulate it in three spectrums, um, let's say there's a spectrum from planned to spontaneous. Uh, maybe North Sub is represented in red. We're pretty well on the planned side of how we do church on Sunday morning. If you would have been transported to Corinth 2,000 years ago, very, very much on the spontaneous side. Another spectrum would have been orderly to chaotic. Uh, we do things in a pretty orderly fashion here on Sunday mornings. If you would have visited church in Corinth 2,000 years ago, may have experienced it as pretty chaotic. What about low participation, high participation? We have a pretty good variety of people involved in our Sunday morning services, but uh, Corinth, um, we will see had even more so, it seems. Um, not a lot of right and wrong on a lot of this, just different ways of doing things. We'll take a look at it. At its best, we would have maybe experienced church in Corinth as vibrant, lively, participatory, enthusiastic, but at moments we probably also would have experienced it as chaotic and disorderly. So in this letter, 1 Corinthians especially in chapter 14, Paul affirms some of what is going on in Corinth and he corrects other aspects of what's going on. And uh, since we don't believe that we've attained perfection here at North Sub, we also believe that God would affirm some of what we do and correct some of what we do. So we're going to listen to this word now, listening for what God corrects through Paul and what God affirms through Paul. Would you follow along with me as I read that passage that we've already seen once in this service? 1 Corinthians 14, starting with verse 26. What then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, 
let there be only two or at most three in each in turn and let someone interpret. But if there's no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak and let the others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one so that all may learn and all be encouraged and the spirits of the prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. In order to walk through this passage, I want to frame it using uh, an image of a road with two ditches, one on the left and one on the right. So we're trying to walk this straight path the way that God has called us to walk as a church, but there's a ditch we could fall off on on the left, and there's a ditch that we could fall off on the right. We're going to address both of those as we go. Uh, What are they? First is the ditch of disorder and confusion. The ditch of disorder and confusion. That's the main topic, honestly, of the passage we just read. The church of Corinth is in the disorder and confusion ditch, and Paul wants them to get out. So, when we think about what the Church of Corinth was like, I'm reminded of uh, uh, 10 years ago, um, Sarah and I were on a mission trip in the Dominican Republic. And um, if you've ever driven in another country, sometimes driving customs are different. So we jumped in this van where we loaded a lot of people in a 15-passenger van, and our host, who's driving us, gives us some instruction before we go. He says, okay, now this is going to be different. You're going to see like a three-lane road and there's going to be five or six cars trying to pack in side by side. And people, as a result, in this city will regularly bump into each other. I need to tell you before we start driving that if somebody hits us or if we hit somebody, we probably aren't going to stop. Because it just kind of happens and because there's a high potential for violence when people get out of the car and try to deal with it that way. So don't be alarmed. We're probably just going to keep moving if that happens. And everybody in the van is just looking at each other like, what in the world is going on? But uh, the, the streets were exactly as he said that they would be. And that's kind of what a worship service at Corinth would be like, was like 2,000 years ago in this way. I mean, picture what's going on here. You've got people speaking in tongues all over the place and nobody interpreting what's being said. So... Speaking in tongues is when the Holy Spirit causes someone to say something uh, in a language that they didn't previously know. Paul actually is in favor of speaking in tongues, even in church. If we peek back at verse 5 in this chapter, he says, Now I want you all to speak in tongues. If we look at verse 18 in this chapter, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. If we fast forward to verse 39 in this chapter, he says, Do not forbid speaking in tongues, which is a verse that many churches ignore today. But the problem in Corinth is that there's a whole bunch of tongues being spoken, all these different languages, and nobody's interpreting it. And so in verse 28, Paul says, to summarize what Paul says there, he's saying, hey, if you can't interpret what you're saying, and if there's nobody around to interpret what you're saying, then you need to hold on to that. Save that for another time. Church isn't the place for that. Save it for when you're alone with God. What else is disorderly about Corinthian worship services? There's lots of people bringing things to the table. Great, but there's too many people talking. So in verse 27, Paul says, let's limit it to two or at most three people speaking in a tongue. In verse 29, let's limit it to two or three people bringing a prophetic word. Um, 
what else? Uh, people are talking over each other instead of waiting. So in verse 27, Paul says with regards to tongues, each go in turn. And in verse 31, with regards to prophecy, he says, go one by one, right? We could get more into the disorder, confusion, chaos, but it should be clear at this point that they're squarely in that ditch. They've fallen in there and Paul's trying to yank them out. Um, We should ask at this point, what would make a church that has many sincere believers? Church of Corinth had many sincere believers. What would make a church fall into this ditch? According to Paul here, at least part of it is that they have forgotten the purpose of participation in a worship service. Take a look at verse 26, second half of verse 26. It says, yeah, everybody's bringing these contributions to the worship service. Great. Let all things be done for what? Let all things be done for self-aggrandizement so that when you're walking out of church, people will pat you on the back and tell you how spiritual you are? No. Let all things be done for catharsis, so that when you just feel like you need that release, you've got that thing on your chest, you've just got to share, and it'll just feel so much better if you get to share it. Is that why we share? No, he says, let all things be done for building up. That's the one reason for sharing in a worship service. In other words, if I want to share something so badly that is going to do a lot for me to share it, but it's not going to do anything for anybody else, Church isn't the time for it to be shared, isn't the time for it to be said. That's not the place for it. So let's talk practically about this ditch of disorder and confusion as it relates to us here at North Sub. Are we in danger of falling in this ditch? Are we in this ditch like the Corinthians? Well, let's do a little self-evaluation here. Our church tradition um, has a low tolerance for disorder and confusion, traditionally. So, um, if you go back, some of you know this, some of you don't, if you go back to the origins of our denomination, uh, mostly Scandinavians, Norwegians, and Swedish folks uh, who culturally have a low tolerance for disorder and confusion, there's been a high emphasis, rightly so, on God's word in the history of our denomination. Uh, But at times in our denomination, that has been contrasted or pitted against um, the spontaneous working of God's Spirit in a worship service. And so, we find ourselves where we find ourselves today, where honestly, it's a rare Sunday morning at North Sub where our service doesn't neatly follow the script that we laid out. Right? It's a rare Sunday morning at North Sub where we have to clean up something messy that happened during the worship service that didn't go according to our plan. And, you know, don't get me wrong, there's some really great things about that. As a pastor, I'm extremely grateful to be pastoring a church where there is good order, uh, where we aren't bringing disgrace to God's name week after week by violating the structure and order that he's laid out in scripture. Here's just the simple question I want to ask, even instead of just patting ourselves on the back for staying out of this ditch, I want to ask the question and ask us to consider this as a church. Have we avoided the disorder and confusion ditch because of our deep reverence for God and our zealous love for each other? Or have we avoided the disorder and confusion ditch because we're fearful 
and maybe because we have a need to maintain control. Remember, order is not synonymous with control, is it? We're called to maintain order, but are we called to keep control? Who's supposed to have control? God and his spirit are intended to have control over our worship service, right? The word orderly is not exactly synonymous with sterile or safe either, right? It's really good for our services to be orderly, but if our, church, if our services become sterile or stale or safe, then we need to ask ourselves if we are truly, to what extent are we truly being conformed to the image of, God who is, of a God who is anything but sterile and anything but safe? I'm already kind of starting to steer us here to our next point, which is going to be that this other ditch is the one that we at North Sub, I think, uh, are more likely to be in danger of falling into. Uh, So let's go there. It's the ditch of quenching the spirit, we might call it, quenching the spirit. Paul doesn't need to say much about this to the Corinthians Um, because that's not what they were struggling with. But to a church like ours, with a low tolerance for disorder, there's a higher likelihood of falling into this ditch. So um, let's talk about it. Some of you, I know, have read, and some of you have read it in your life groups, the most recent book by Francis Chan called Letters to the Church. He uses an illustration in that book um, that he, he kind of laments that churches in America and around the world have, in some cases, become too much like zoos. And here's what he means. We've got these human beings, these, these fearsome, awesome creatures made in the image of God with incredible potential, uh, made to live in the wild, so to speak. And then we bring these people, these creatures, into church, and we effectively put them in cages, so to speak, by which he means that we domesticate it. We, we, we make sure that they uh, are well taken care of and kept safe and kept in a, in, a, in a situation that feels really, really good to them. And um, we make sure that the, nothing goes contrary to plan, the most that we can control it, and uh, we make sure everybody's content. And what ends up happening over time is that we Christians start to feel comfortable in the zoo. And pretty soon we even lose our effectiveness if we were to be launched back out into the wild again. I think that illustration bears, well, it's, it's, it's worthy of our reflection in many, many aspects of church life. But for this morning's discussion about our Sunday morning worship services, I think it's worth our reflection in particular. Um, Look at what church in the wild looks like in verse 26, right? The first half of verse 26, Paul describes what's happening already at Corinth. He says, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Do you know how messy and unsterile that would be, even if it was done in an orderly fashion, right? Um, Paul doesn't correct that, by the way, right? He corrects the disorder portion of it. He doesn't correct the high level of participation that people are bringing contributions, some of which are unscripted, into the service. Um, when was the last time that you came on a Sunday morning to North Sub thinking on your drive here about what you might bring? 
to benefit, to bless this church body. Um, your mindset on your trip to church, is it, is it one of a contributor or is it one of a spectator consumer? Now, I know somebody must be thinking, hey, Tim, you're being a little naive about this. Um, do you know how many ways it can go sideways if you allow people to start participating out loud in a worship service? And what I would say to that is, yes, I do. I, I, I've been part of churches over the years in which this was practiced. They attempted to practice this in a biblical way, that there was a high level of contribution and not all of it was scripted in the worship service. And I've seen it be messy, even in the churches that were doing it to the letter, biblically, with order. I've heard some wild things said in church that needed to be corrected, right? Um, Here's my question, though. Do we think weird things weren't being said in these New Testament churches? Of course there were. Uh, Yet, Paul doesn't tell the Corinthians, throw it all out, just shut it all down, just make sure that there's order at all costs, don't let anybody share for a while until we can get this figured out. He says, no, just do it within the guardrails. And he's, it's the same thing to the church at Thessalonica. So that's a church that's going through uh, a situation that's more like maybe what we would struggle with. They maybe struggle with ditch number two more. They maybe have heard, it seems, uh, enough prophecies over the years, enough strange things being said that they're kind of getting tired of it and maybe even considering shutting it down. And Paul says to them, hey, do not quench the spirit. Do not despise prophecies, but test everything. Hold fast what is good. In other words, worthless stuff is going to be said. If you're holding fast what is good, there's some stuff that isn't good. The worthless stuff, ignore it. Move aside. Correct it if it needs to be corrected. Throw it out. Disregard it. That word test has to do with kind of sifting. So you're kind of sifting that stuff out. And then when whatever is good, whatever is from the Lord, whatever aligns with Scripture, whatever is God's word for you, pay attention to that. Cling to that. Now, just as an aside, I'm sure you've noticed that I'm not really getting into what exactly, how exactly we define prophecy, what exactly the role of tongues is, for example, in modern day worship services. You don't know how badly I want to have that whole discussion this morning. But my first draft of this sermon would, would have been 70 minutes, and so I'm trying to be disciplined to focus on the main subject of this text, which is maintaining order within a context of high participation in a worship service. So we're going to stay there. We're going to have to hold the other discussions about the so-called charismatic gifts and the, and the specific workings of them for another day. Um, but at the end here, as we come to a close in this second point, I want to evaluate, just as we did with Ditch 1, are we in danger as a church of falling into Ditch 2, of quenching the Spirit? I want to have that conversation for a moment. In short, I think we are more in danger of teetering over into this ditch, at least more in danger than we are of this one. Um, How so? Well, it's not because we don't include a variety of people in our worship services. We do. However, let's say God's Spirit uh, gave a word to Ken Bryan this morning during the service. Let's say that last night Catherine Knight had a dream uh, that she really believed was from the Lord for and that our congregation needed to hear it. How would you go about sharing that with our church? 
right? I think the lack of a mechanism by which to share that, lack of a process, a procedure, uh, an encouragement for that, might be leading us to be missing out on the fullness of what's talked about here as what's, what's intended for the building up of the congregation. So we're going to talk for the rest of our time together this morning about a way that we're going to go about doing this at North Sub going forward. But let me just summarize where we've been so far before we get into the practical outworkings. There are two ditches that churches can fall into on this. One is a ditch of disorder and confusion, chaos. The other ditch is one that churches fall into because they're working so hard to avoid this one that they fly over into the other one, and that's trying to so tightly control things that the church becomes sterile, becomes devoid of the power of the Holy Spirit. Back to our spectrums again, what we've seen in this text is maybe that high participation is good. It's what church is meant to look like. However, not this, orderly is good. All things being done in order. And some sort of mixture of the planned and the spontaneous is the pattern, at least, in the New Testament. So, so here's our big idea today. Let's increase the richness of participation in our worship services while continuing to insist on order. Let's increase the richness of participation in our worship services while continuing to insist on order. We've already acknowledged, though, this can get dicey, so I'm going to lay out here a very specific procedure by which we're going to do this going forward. We'll have to tweak this procedure, I'm sure. Um, but this is a procedure that uh, I've worshipped in churches that have followed a, sim- a similar procedure to this. I've heard of other churches that do. I read just this week, I happened to come across uh, Pastor Sam Storms in Oklahoma City, who's written so well about this, and his church, he lays out a model that's almost exactly like this um, Here's what we're going to do, okay? On a Sunday morning, you're sitting here at any point during the service, starting today, going forward indefinitely, any week, and you feel like, I think the Lord is laying something on my heart to share with this church family. What do you do? You'll notice that in the chair in front of you, starting this week, there are now index, blank index cards there, okay? Um... What we want to encourage you to do is just write down on the index card what it is, whether it's a word of wisdom, a word of knowledge, whether it's a tongue that you have an interpretation for, whether it's a word you feel is a prophetic word, a dream, whatever it is, write down the content of it on that index card. Then you're going to find an elder. Uh, If you don't know who our elders are at the moment, their pictures are in the hall. So you can look at it, they're on their website. You can look at it, next week we're gonna, our sermon's going to be about eldership and we're going to bring them all up on stage and uh, introduce them so you'll get to know them even better. Um, but that's, their job is in part to protect the doctrine of the church and part of that is evaluating, weighing words that are going to be shared. So um, you're going to bring that to them. You'll probably step out in the hall together and just have a brief discussion about it. They may ask you a question or two if they need to. And then they're going to make a choice, an evaluation. Um, And if they decide that for this particular Sunday, what's what's on this index card doesn't fit with our service, or it's better for a personal benefit and not for the church's sake, or it doesn't quite align with Scripture, then they're going to share that with you, and it won't be shared uh, more broadly than that. However, 
if they say, hey, this might have some merit for our church, this might have some value for our whole church to hear, then what they are going to do is bring that to me or whoever the point person is uh, if I'm gone. That point person will be the second set of eyes on what you've shared. Uh, Evaluating again, does it line up with scripture? Is it consistent with the messaging in this service or is it going to take us in too many directions? Is it uh, better a private thing or is it better a public thing for everybody? Um, Those sorts of judgments. We won't be perfect in that. Uh, right, I can tell you right now that at times as elders, we're going to allow something to be shared that maybe in hindsight we'll wish we didn't, and vice versa. We'll, we, we will not allow something to be shared that in hindsight we'll say we probably should have let that be shared. Uh, we're going to work through the mess together in it. Um, but after that's been evaluated, if the second person agrees, the second elder, the point person agrees that that's worth sharing, then at some point in the service I'll just come up here and either invite you up to share it or just read it off your index card and that will be shared with the congregation. The congregation will be encouraged to weigh or test what's being said. Never just accept it just because it's being said, but do what we're called to do so many times in Scripture. Test it. Does it align with Scripture? Uh, Is it true? Uh, Is it edifying? Those kind of criteria uh, will shepherd you through that. And what's good and what's said, we we will accept and take to heart as a congregation. A um, couple of thoughts on this. God will do this with the frequency with which he wants to do it, right? In other words, there's no need for us to be discouraged if it's very rare that God lays a word on someone's heart for the congregation. On the flip side, there's no reason for us to feel really great about ourselves if there's a time period in which there's a flurry of this happening, right? God will do what he wants to do in his timing. Uh, we're not going to force anything. We can't force his hand. We just don't want to miss out on the fullness of the upbuilding that's supposed to be taking place on our, in our Sunday morning meetings uh, because we were too scared to take the risk. Um, you'll see whenever the first time is that we uh, do this, that there are some additional steps we'll take for the sake of order. We'll read past parts of 1 Corinthians 14 each time a word like this is shared and remind the congregation of the ground rules. It won't be a free-for-all. It'll be order. Uh, And when that order is violated, it'll be corrected. Um, But we're going to go on this journey together. Um, Here's my question. Is this too messy for anyone? I mean, I get it, you know. Um, there are less messy options for a church out there than a church who's trying to start a new chapter where they're doing church as family and allow for sharing in the service and um, sort through the mess that comes along with that. And for someone looking for safe, sterile, there are good churches with sincere people that might be a fit. But it's just during this next chapter of life at North Sub. We don't want to be that kind of church. Um, so a reminder, our big idea. Let's increase the richness of participation in our worship services while continuing to insist on order. This may take some time to get used to. We're going to dip our toes in it here before we leave. Uh, we're going to do that by Pastor Craig leading us through an open mic prayer time. He'll uh, shepherd us through that in just a moment. Even an open mic prayer time like what we're about to do, I'll just tell you, when you go to seminary, they'll tell you, do not do that. Bad idea. 
Don't let it happen. You don't know what people will say. But when we look at Scripture, we don't see permission there to be so anti-mess that we stifle participation. So we're going to walk through the mess together and sort it out as we go along. After all, how did our Lord Jesus respond to our mess, right? He could have stayed up on his perch looking down at us and said, oof, that's too much chaos and mess down there. I'm not stepping into that. Instead, he left his throne, stepped into the chaos in order that all things would one day be reordered under his lordship. Think about it. He, he, the God who made all humans in his image then took on flesh to become a human alongside them only to have those humans that he made in his image use their image-bearing divine capacity to turn on him and reject him and hang him up on a tree. If he was willing to go to those steps to step into our mess in order that we'd be reconciled to him, who are we to insist on safe and sterile? Let's remember the difference between orderly and sterile. Jesus didn't die to purchase a sterile church. Jesus died to purchase a dynamic church, a family with warts, but a family in which the contributions of every family member count. May that be true of us always, and in particular during our Sunday morning gatherings. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for, through your son Jesus, purchasing a church that is yours, that belongs to you, that is under your reign and lordship. Lord, help us to be a church that always uh, strives to live within your guardrails, that repents when we don't, and that does church in an orderly fashion. But Lord, on the other hand, help us never to be a church that quenches your spirit out of fear um, uh, and is so risk-averse and... Uh, idolizing safety, that we miss out on the fullness of what you've intended for us. Guide us by your Spirit as we walk this messy road together. In Jesus' name, amen.